All right. How's everybody doing today? We doing good? A little relaxed, right? Just kind of kick back, enjoy it, because um, evidently we're supposed to get a blizzard in like 10 minutes. We're all going to be stuck here for the rest of the day. It's going to be awesome. So who, who brought chili? Uh, that's all I, so I just want to know. Who brought rations, right? Uh, the church has got plenty of water, right? But we're going to have to have some food. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to practice doing life together today. Uh, hey, I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us out at our North Platte campus. You two will be stuck there. Um, and then all of you that are at home, well, enjoy your solitude, all right? Uh, so we'll be here together, and uh, we want to do say a big hello. I know a bunch of people are watching online, probably like a million. So hello, see you guys. Um, hey, today, today is going to be an incredible day in our teaching series that is entitled, what? Chainbreaker. Um, I, I uh, got a message this past week from someone in our church, and uh, they said this, like, hey, our whole church should know that if we're going to tackle something like Chainbreaker, you just better be aware that the devil's going to try to come against you. And you do need to know that when we run after freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from chains, the enemy does want to come against us. But God is greater. Okay, so although the enemy might come in like a, like, a, like a storm, God will raise up a standard against him. He will raise up an army against him. He'll raise up his spirit against him. And so don't, don't, ever, don't ever forget that you are on the winning team if you've committed your life to Christ. Jesus does win in the end. And by the way, you don't have to wait to the end for him to win. He can win in your life today. All right? And that's, that's good news. Uh, so today as we're going to talk about the chains of addiction the chains of addiction. Many of us have experienced addiction in its like worst stage. You've experienced it in your family. You've experienced it in your friends. Some of you have experienced the classic you know, definition of addiction in your own personal life. And he, the thing about addictions is that the sin of addiction doesn't just affect the person that's caught in it. It affects like all of their family, all of their friends, everybody that cares about them is affected by this, right? And there's many, many different names for addictions. And even when I mention the word addiction, there's, there's like names of certain addictions that come to your mind, right? And right now, if I asked you to, you know, if we were all in, in one facility instead of being spread out in North Platte and, you know, our East and West venue at Kearney and in your homes, wherever you're at right now, if we were all together and we could just be in one room together and you would shout out, you know, what these are, how long could we keep that list going by identifying certain addictions? I mean, the list is pretty long, isn't it? And so today is not the day where I'm going to sit here and try to, you know, lay out every single addiction and, you know, what the uniqueness is of every addiction. Today is a day where I'm going to simply quantify what addiction is. And the bottom line is this. If sin controls your life in any condition, if sin controls your life at any level, if sin has a grip on your life, no matter what the sin is called, Addiction is alive inside of you. We are easy to point the finger at someone else and say, that person's addicted to this or to that. We rarely ever point the finger at us. And one of the reasons why sin runs its rampant course in the life of a believer is because we're unwilling to come to grips with what it really is. 
And today, I'm going to help you understand that there is a freedom that can come from that, but obviously it first starts with all of the classic understanding of what addiction is, and that is we have to admit, first, there's an addiction in me. And this addiction is called sin, and it's in the life of humanity. And this addiction of sin runs its course, and at the end of its course, it brings death. An addiction is simply this, giving control to something over your life, like letting something control you. And that's what sin wants to do. So this message is going to impact some of you uh, more, more forcefully than others. And this message will also be a tool for you that you'll be able to use when, when you're talking with you know, others that are caught up in you know, the sin of addiction, that has the chains that have wrapped itself around their life and is just sucking the very life out of them. But today to deal with this passage, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Romans and we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. I'm going to be preaching out of Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 14 today. So if you have your smartphone and you're using version and you've searched for events and you found New Life Church, uh, then I, I presented all of those scriptures there for you. And you can take notes right there digitally and keep them, actually. You can save them and keep them forever. Um, if, if you've got uh, your Bible with you today, uh, what I just simply like to refer to as the analog version, um, if you've got that with you, then open it up to Romans chapter 6 because that's where we're going to be, verses one through 14. You might want to write down notes. You might want to scribble a couple of thoughts, you know, in your Bible. Um, You'll just have to see how does God speak to you today through this message. Paul is writing, obviously the book is called Romans. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to this newer church, this group of people that, you know, have lived their entire lives in what would be referred to as more of a paganistic mindset. Like, whatever makes you happy, do it. Whatever satisfies you, do it. Right? It's, uh, it's becoming very much like the, like the culture in which we live in today. Um, it was a culture as well that had no, like, foundation of truth. So it was a culture that decided, you know, by each individual what truth was. Whatever made you happy, do it. Um, there was a governance. Obviously, there was a strong military. There was a powerful display of the Roman Empire throughout the known world at that time. So they had a lot of influence and a lot of authority. In fact, they pretty much thought that they had it all conquered. They had it all figured out. And, you know, they deserved to be able to live this life of luxury and this life of indulgence uh, that they chose. Because, look, I mean... But by, by who's going to conquer us? Anyways, we're the largest on the planet. Like, we're the superpower of the planet. You, you see any semblance between, like, the old Roman Empire and the way that America sees themselves? Like, we're, we're pretty much in the same classic category here. And so Paul's writing to this church, and this church of newer believers, and he's dealing with them. And if you have, a, like, a, an NIV Bible, a, a New International Version, the, the subject heading for chapter 6 basically just says this, to be dead to sin and alive in Christ. So chapter 6 of Romans is like a perfect chapter to go to if you're wanting to get a grip on how do you conquer sin, how do you get the addiction of sin completely conquered in your life and then start moving on. I think if you don't get chapter 6 of Romans, most of Paul's writing is not going to make sense. Because this is like a crux kind of a chapter. This is one of those things where he takes a stake and he drives it into the ground. And he basically says to the church, there's a way that we have to live and there's an authority to live by it. This is not Paul becoming legalistic and this is not going to be Jeff Baker becoming legalistic. 
This is not Paul setting a standard that is unachievable by humanity, just like I'm not going to set a standard today that's unachievable by humanity. This is not Paul trying to become legalistic in his, in his language. This is Paul trying to give to the people a, 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 an ounce of freedom. He's trying to point their compass in the right direction and go, guys, there's a way to live free like you've never lived free before in your life. That's where, that's where we're going to pick this up. In Romans chapter 6, and then in verse 1. So, verse 1 says, Well then, should, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Question mark. Now, now before, I, before I start getting into this, what we're going to look at is three parts. I would say to you that this chapter, chapter 6, is probably broken up into four different parts. We're going to look at the first three parts. Part number one and part number two is going to be why. Like, why can you, why can sin be broken? Why can the power of sin be broken? And then the third part of it's going to be how can sin be broken? So here we're looking at it right off the bat, and he says, well then, should should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? (laughs) I mean, there's a real danger, isn't there? When, When a person thinks to themselves that, you know, I can live however I want because, well, God is going to forgive me. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to live, church. When you think to yourself that for some reason you can just keep on doing what you want to do and that God is just going to keep turning his back and just going to keep going, okay, whatever. God's just going to keep extending a hand of, of love. Because earlier on in this passage, Paul gives us, a, uh, earlier on in this book actually, Paul gives us a real clear indication that's not the case. In fact, he actually says this at the beginning parts of Roman. That he goes, look, if you keep on sinning and you keep moving your heart farther and farther away from God, God will turn you over to your reprobate mind. Wow. Now that's totally seems like the opposite of grace, doesn't it? That God would turn someone over to the re- What does that even mean? I think you've probably you know, dealt with this if you're a parent. You, you don't want to see your kids fail, but sometimes your kids have to come to the end of the rope before they ever wake up. And with us as children of God, which Paul also drives home in Romans, there's a great security of being a son and a daughter of God that sometimes you and me, we need to, because we're so bent on the course in which we're on that we need to get to the end of our rope. We need to hit rock bottom. When God turn, if God were to turn a person over to the reprobate mind, it's not God giving up. It's actually, it's a massive step of God's favor on their life going, I'm going to be right there. And when you hit rock bottom, I want to be there to be the first one to lay my hands on you and help you get back up. Because up until that point, you were blinded by your own sin going your own direction. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. He's going, look, you guys, you guys were sinners, outside of relationship with God, you've come into relationship with God, don't think that you can bring the past into the new. Don't think that you can do that. Like, that's not going to work. It basically, it's as crazy as, you know, don't think that a son can live in a father's house and just keep wounding his heart over and over and over and over again. Like, that's ludicrous to think that you would live in your father's house and just keep doing something intentionally to wound his heart. Because, church, that's what sin does. Sin keeps it's like putting a dagger into the heart of God from our life. 
I don't take that as like punishment on ourselves, but just see that as the reality of it. So what does Paul do to answer his own question? Which, don't you love that when someone asks a question and then they like don't even give you time to give the answer, they just give you the answer, right? Like they ask, so here's Paul, he's doing that, and he comes back in verse two and he goes, of course not. Of course not. No, you, you can't just keep going on sinning and sinning because there's more wonderful grace or that grace abounds. He goes, of course not. That's crazy. It's crazy, right? Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Of course not. None of us, I think, would sit around at a table, you know, enjoying a wonderful conversation and say that, you know, that God's grace it's like a never, never-ending pool that we can just keep doing whatever we want to do and, and claim this unique relationship with God. That's not the way it works, church. God is a God of grace, but God's a God of judgment as well. I don't think we can ever forget that. There's a moment where God lets you go. So he goes, of course not. You, you can't do that. He talks then about death. And there's, there's basically three different unique deaths um, that... That a, that a person can experience. You've got the, you got the physical death, right? Where one day your body's going to give up and you and me are both going to end up in a grave someplace unless Jesus comes back. And then there's a, there's a spiritual death that if we don't turn our lives over to Christ and we don't live for him and we don't put him first in our lives and try to bring him glory and honor that there is a spiritual death where for e- forever, for eternity, we'll be separated from God. Nobody wants that. But then there is the death to sin. That happens on this earth. That's what Paul's talking about here when he's saying, since we have died to sin then how can we continue to live? Notice how he says it. Since we died to sin. When did we die to sin? When did that take place in our lives? We died to sin at salvation. See, that's one of the reasons why at New Life Church, we drive home the commitment to Christ with a particular language. We, we choose to use the word surrender. The word surrender your life to Jesus is a process. It's like something that's going to start on day one and it's never going to end. That's why you will rarely, and when it happens, it's something that I repent to God for, but you will never hear me say, unless it's just a complete slip in my, in my speech, who wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and their leader? Who wants to accept him? Sounds For me, it sounds too much like, I'm the one in control. Well, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul doesn't say, hey, your relationship with God is how much can you be in control of it? Paul says, no, you've died to sin. You're not in control. See, if we don't start the spiritual journey right, how can we walk in a life of freedom? And for many Christians, they never died at the beginning. They tried to come into the relationship with God alive, completely engaged in everything that they had, everything that they are, all of their personality, like as if it wasn't going to cost us anything. Christianity is nothing unless it has a cost to it. There has to be a cost to it. And the cost is that we died to sin. We gave up, however, So that we could do what? We died to sin 
we continue, so we don't continue to live in it. That's what he wants us. He wants us to get away from it, to walk away from it. So then he says this in verse 3. Or have maybe you've forgotten. <laughs> like, I, this is such a powerful point, but maybe, maybe you forgot something. And he wants to take us back to this moment of maybe we forgot the power of something. So pay attention to what he focuses in on. He goes, or, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in what? He's saying to you, don't forget that you were joined with Christ. Like, you became one with him through baptism. Now, in the early church, there was this tradition, this habit, that when you gave your life to Christ, when you committed your life to him, right, when you surrendered to him, then you would immediately after that go and find a place to be baptized in water. Like, that was just part of the uniqueness of the early church, they would walk down to a stream or to a lake or to some body of water, and man, they would just do the baptism right then. There was, there was no separation really between the two like it is more in the modern-day church. Because I don't know about you, but today if you're going to surrender your life to Jesus, I don't think you want to go down to the Platte River right now. And we don't have the baptism tank out here filled up anymore. And we don't have the one that's on our main stage here anymore either because Pastor Nate cut a big hole in the side of it. On purpose, I might add. So it, you know, there's no other bathtub here. There's, like, there's no way to do it. So, so we have these moments where we, we surrender our life to Christ and then we follow it up with water baptism. I would just encourage you right now that if you've never been water baptized, you, you've, got, you've got to take the step of water baptism. And so he, he continues to say, you know, joined with, with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. Verse 4, for we died and were buried with Christ through baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. See, baptism is a powerful step in the life of the believer. But the power behind it is the symbolicness of it. It's symbolic to Christ being dead, being put into the grave, and then being raised again. And Paul's saying to us today, don't you ever forget what you went through when you went down to that lake and you got baptized. Now, at New Life, it's a big celebration. Like, you know, it's, it happens here or it happens out of the lake. And man, when it's done, when someone gets baptized on one of our stages, is there not an eruption of praise? There is, isn't there? There's an eruption of celebration. And we're like, yes, like way to go. Because it's this bold public proclamation that I've committed my life to Jesus Christ and I'm choosing to live for him. And, and that is awesome. And we're celebrating the life. But Paul is coming back and he's going, I want you in your baptism to never forget to celebrate the death. So although it's a moment of celebration for the church, you've got to have a concrete understanding of what that action was. And when you were seven years old like me and you committed your life to Jesus Christ and your parents wanted you to get baptized like my parents did, so thank you, Mom and Dad, it may not have had the same meaning at seven 
So if you want your children to be baptized, and Pastor Eric says, I don't think it's the right time, it's because he's trying to preserve something that Paul's saying, if you don't have this as a concrete piece in your life, you will be like a flag that just flaps in the wind when it comes to your life. And sin will run its course. Because if you don't understand that you've died with Christ, you went to the grave with him, and when you came out of the water, you are a new person and you're missing it. And we at New Life have done you a complete injustice on your life. So then he goes into part two of why. Why can sin be broken? And in verse six, he says, we know that our old sinful selves were what? They were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Then he says, in a powerful language, We're no longer slaves to sin. The cross that that you wear around your neck, the cross that's in every one of our auditoriums, why why is the cross such such a predominant picture of Christianity? Why is it that we carry the cross around? It's not just because of what Jesus did. Although I would say that is the, that's the biggest piece. That's the majority of it, obviously. It's also to remind you That's the cross that you died on too. Because when Christ died for our sins and you surrendered your life to him, it was as if you died on that very cross. So that, Paul says here, so that you're no longer a slave to sin. Like think with me about that language for a minute, a slave. Like a slave is obligated to do what his master tells him to do, right? A slave, that's what he has to do. If the, if the master says, go here, the slave has to go there. If the master says, do this, the slave has to do it. And Paul's saying to us today, you're no longer obligated to follow the master of your sin. You're not a slave to it anymore. Because you've been bought with a price. You, not only were bought with a price of what Jesus did, but you have died to sin. You have been baptized and went through the death process of sin, you climbed onto the cross and you died on the cross as well and you gave up this life so that you could gain something greater. You've come to the point where Paul would also write later on, hey, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. And church, until we come to that point, we're never going to get it. We're going to continue to live as slaves. And the master of sin is going to whisper into our ear. And before we know it, we're out there and we're doing it again. That's what addiction is. Addiction is sin whispering into our ear. And before it even gets processed, we're doing it. And if you've ever found yourself in that place afterward, don't you look back at your life and just go, what in the world was I thinking? Of course Because that's what addiction is. Sin, whispering into the ear of a person and then the person acting on it before even really processing it. That's called a slave. Paul says, we're no longer slaves. But why? Why is because of what Jesus has done and the step that a true believer has taken. So then he picks it up in verse seven. It says, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we also, we will live 
with him. Notice those words are so powerful. We were set free from the what of sin. Sin has a power. I think that's something we just need to be aware of. There is a power to it. When you get sin like locked inside of your heart, the power, the generator of that sin wants to stay alive. But what, what is it that Jesus has done? What is it that he's done? For when we died with Christ, we were set free from. It's as if he went behind the sofa to the outlet and he pulled the plug on sin. So isn't it interesting that we find ourselves in the dark moments of our lives, like trying to crawl behind the couch, (laughs) pulling it away from the wall, climbing back there so that we can plug the power cord back in and maybe nobody will notice and we push the couch back up against the wall so that we can go live the way we want to in secrecy? If there's something alive in your life that you have to, it has to remain in secrecy, most likely it's sin. And when we committed our life to Jesus that day, we surrendered to him. He went around the house of your life and he unplugged the cords. And you know what the journey is of the believer? It's definitely not to go see how many plugs you can plug back in and still live for Jesus. However, it seems as if that's what Paul's dealing with when he starts out this entire chapter with that first statement, should we continue sinning just because grace abounds? Should we continue plugging back in the cords of the sin generators in our lives? And the answer to that is, of course not. It's ludicrous. It's crazy. Don't even go there. Because sin has a power. Then he says these words. Here's how we can know, guys, that, you know, the chain of sin has been broken. Okay? Like, here's how we can know. He says, we are, and then he uses the word, we are sure in verse 9, or we are confident, right? Or what other other words can we use? We are secure, right? These are the types of words he would use. We are certain, so we are sure of this, Because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. It's a great statement. We can be sure that the power of sin has been broken. We can be sure that we died with Christ. We can be sure, right, that we don't need to keep walking back to the sin. We can be sure of all of the things that he's been saying up until this moment because Christ was raised from the dead, and he'll never die again. Another anchor of Christianity. When you forget the power of the resurrection, sin has got an open door into our hearts. Think with me. How often do you contemplate the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The answer to that? It's probably very, very little. How often do you find in your prayer time that you come back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and praise him for the fact that he's alive? I find it very interesting in my personal life that it's as, it's as if the enemy wants to keep me away from that truth. 
It's as if the enemy wants that truth to like drift into the background while Paul's bringing it right into the foreground. He's saying one of the ways you're going to be for sure, you're going to know with a confidence, which when you know something with a confidence, how much more likely are you to act out on it? I mean, the likelihood it like skyrockets through the roof. When you know something with a confidence, when you can, when you can say with 100% assurance, I know this, you act with greater faith. And Paul's coming to us today and he's going, hey, look, I want, you to, I want your faith to shoot through the roof today. But to do that, you've got to keep your mind on what really sets Christianity apart. And that is an empty grave where Jesus no longer lays. And as, as often as you are tempted, go back to the empty grave and remind yourself what sets you apart from all the others on this earth is because you serve a risen Savior. And because he rose from the dead and he's never going to die again, he has the power over sin. Death or sin no longer has any power over him. And that means death no longer has any power over you. So why can we walk in freedom from the power of sin? Has Everything to do with the resurrection of Jesus. And then verse 10, when he died, when Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. How many times did it take Jesus to die to break the power of sin? Once. Like He doesn't have to keep dying to break the power of your sin. You might say, my sin is horrific. And you know what? It might be. But Jesus doesn't have to go back to the cross for your sin. He already paid the price and he paid it once for the power to break the power of sin. But now, what does Jesus do? Now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. That's that's who Jesus is. He's living right now for the glory of God. Church, why can we live free from the power of sin? Because of what Jesus is doing right now. What does it mean for him to live for the glory of God? It means for him to live as the mediator between God and man fighting for you through the power of his spirit alive inside of you to accomplish the entire mission that God has for your life. Because when your life accomplishes the mission that God put you on this earth for, guess what your life is doing? Your life is bringing glory to God. What is the mission of Jesus? The mission of Jesus is to live so that you can bring glory to him That's what he's doing right now. Like he's for you. He's not against you. His whole job right now is to help you break the chains of sin and to live for Christ. So the third part, as we wrap this up, how can sin, how can sin then, you know, be broken? Verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin because of everything we've heard. And look at what it says and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I've been in ministry a a long time. If there's one thing that I've seen as a constant in ministry is this, that believers are, are constantly focused on the sin in their life instead of coming alive to God in their life. Constantly focused on the things that we're doing wrong versus the things of, of coming alive with God. We're focused on the places where we're falling instead of the places where we're rising. And the enemy loves that, and he keeps you there. And you know what he does with that? He just drives home this one word, shame. He drives shame deep. 
Like when your attention is focused completely on where you're falling versus where you're rising, then your attention's on your shame. And shame wants to keep your attention in your sin instead of getting your attention on to coming alive with God. How do you break the chain of, sh- of shame? You break the chain of shame by changing your identity. Like your identity, you're not identified by the failures of sin in your life. You're identified by what Christ has done in your life. And if you want to break the chains of sin in your life, then you got to come alive with God more. That's the solution. Breaking the chain of shame is critical for the life of a believer. And that's going back to changing your identity. Like, I am not just Jeff Baker, a sinner. I'm Jeff Baker, a son of the living God. I'm not just Jeff Baker, like, I can't make it in this life without Jesus. I'm Jeff Baker, who is an overcomer through Christ. you got to change that. Your identity, like, I'm not Jeff Baker, a failure in God's eyes. I'm Jeff Baker, victorious in God's eyes through Christ. That's who you are, though. That's who you are. So we've got we've to focus more on coming alive with God. Then in verse 12, he says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in, he says here, do not give in to sinful desires. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let sin control you. You know what it says to me really loud? you got to have the hope he's talking about here. The hope is this. Sin doesn't have to control us. That's the hope. He says, don't let sin control you. And don't, don't give in to sinful desires. Like, that's not where we have to go. How do you overcome that, though? we got to get closer and closer to the Holy Spirit. The more you let the Holy Spirit have his work in our life, the more that our desires move away from sin and closer to God. But church, there's hope here. So not only does he want to break the shame in our life, he wants to insert hope in us. you got to look yourself in the mirror and go, you know what? I, I can overcome sin. Not in my own strength, but through Christ I can do it. My hope is in Christ. My hope is in Christ. So I'm going to get closer and closer to Jesus. That's my hope. So if you're falling flat on your face in sin right now, that's not your future. That doesn't have to be your future. Or oh, it can be if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. You can rise up above that, get your eyes focused on who Jesus is, and run closer and closer to him and have the hope to overcome it. Then in verse 13, he says this, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Like, I love to tinker on stuff. I'm not really good at it, okay? But I mean, I've built my own chopper before. You know, I've fixed things on my Jeep before. You know, I've done a number of things. Like I've got a, a garage that's set up like a shop. I mean, it's a manly garage. But here's one thing. Like I'm a, I got a little pet peeve about projects. Like if I'm gonna do the project, if I'm gonna change the brakes on my car, or I'm gonna change the wheel bearing on my car, or I'm gonna do, you know, whatever else. Like I don't wanna get too technical and go over your head on any of that kind of stuff. Okay, just messing around. If I'm going to do that work, I got a little pet peeve. I wanna, I wanna own the right tool. If, if, it takes, if it takes a particular tool and that tool costs $30 or $50, I go buy the tool. Why? Because I'm saving the money because I'm doing it myself. Now I got the tool. The next time I do it, I got the right tool. I can do it easier. But if you got the wrong tool for the wrong job 
or the wrong tool trying to do the job, it's always frustrating. You spend more hours in the garage, you know, you break your knuckles, you get frustrated. Things want to come out of your mouth that should never come out of your mouth. You have to keep bringing yourself back to, I have overcome sin. You see what I'm saying? The right tool at the right time. It's like lasers. Like a laser, there's one laser that can cut through a piece of metal. And there's another laser that works on the inner part of your eye. You get the wrong laser, you got big problems. Like the right tool for the right job is the difference maker. And Paul's driving home, your life is like that tool. Your life is an instrument. Here's a critical piece. Don't, don't overlook it. He says in that second part, he says, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Some of us have settled for using part of our body for the glory of God. And that other parts are just given to sin. If your eye is given to sin, it corrupts the whole. If your mouth is given to sin, it affects the rest. So on and so forth. And when we bring our whole body into unity and surrender to God, it becomes a powerful instrument. In fact, the right instrument at the right time in the hands of God to bring glory to God, which is what Jesus is doing and he's attempting to do through you right now. But then let's wrap it up. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. The freedom of God's grace. Grace is that undeserved favor of God on your life today. It's the favor that rescues you from the chains of sin. It's the favor that wipes sin away. It's the favor, favor that sees your best even when you're at your worst. It's the favor that allows God to call each of you sons and daughters. And Paul says, you and I, insert your name, Jeff Baker, you live under the freedom of God's grace. That's where you live today. We're living under the freedom of God's grace So all the way back to the beginning, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Why? It's abusive to his grace, but most importantly, you're living under his grace, not just to survive, but to thrive in this world. God wants us to thrive so we can be a part of his mission to advance his kingdom. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But most Christians are just walking around trying to keep the blood on the inside from all the bandage wounds because of all the sin that we can't keep walking our life in. we got to get healthy and whole every single part of our body so we can be part of his mission to advance his kingdom on this earth at this time. Be an instrument for God. Let your whole body be in unity so that you can accomplish what God's asking you to do. So today, I don't know what your next step is, but the Holy Spirit does. It might be come to an altar and go, you know what, I'm going to lay down this part of my body to you, God. It might be in a moment of prayer, God, I'm going to give you this peace. It might be in a moment of this repentance, like, God, forgive me. Like, I've been abusing your grace instead of just living under your grace. 
right? It could be like, God, I've, I've forsaken the why I can live in the power because I've been so caught up in my sin. I got to come back and, you know, celebrate the baptism I have with you. I got to come back and rejoice with the resurrection that you've brought. But for all of us, how to live free of the chains of sin, that's something we should all come to God and just give him thanks for today. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, today, we're committing our life to you. We're thankful for your word that brings life. But today, we've been reminded, we've been reminded of what Paul says. When he drives home the point that, Lord, there's an an abundance of grace. But the grace is so that we can accomplish your mission on this earth. Not just to, not just to try to like get by on this earth, but to thrive on this earth. So Lord, we run to you today. We're in desperate need of you today. Like Lord, without you, we're, we fail like royally. But with you, we can accomplish incredible things. And Lord, I know one thing about this church, and that is it's designed to accomplish your mission. It's designed to advance your kingdom. And like an instrument, this church is being used. And as its members become healthy and whole, the power of this church becomes more vibrant and alive than ever before. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would sweep through these auditoriums today with the authority and the power of your spirit, and you would purify your church today. And you would change our mindset from a mindset of just surviving to a mindset of thriving. In Jesus' name, amen.